Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening to Mussy Audio again. I, as ever, am one of your hosts, Lee Stevens. Uh, we had a guest in. We had Rich Northwood, um, who's been a, a friend of the Alien Addict podcast, if you've watched any of those. Um, turns out, I didn't realize, realize this until like the week before we did this show, he did the Monroe Institute thing. Like He, he went off to the Monroe Institute, um, did the whole gateway tapes things, if you guys know what those are. And he came on the show, and uh, he decided to to tell us about it. And it was it was really interesting. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm battling in the minute with my son because he won't go to bed. So I've told him he can uh, he can open this as something to do. So Arthur, take it away. Welcome everybody to the show. Say anything. We're just going to stay quiet now for the next hour and a half. Rich is going to tell us all about his experience at the Monroe Institute. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, I've done a tiny bit of homework. I've watched a couple of documentaries because that's where knowledge is, and knowledge that's in books isn't for me. Um, and that's probably more preparation than I usually do for podcasts. Uh, I've been using the gateway tapes for quite some time. Dave, you sent them to me first, didn't you? You sent you you told me I, I hadn't heard about any of this until Dave pointed them out to me. Um and then Rich, you sent me a different link with ones which were higher quality. And that's it's it's really interesting that because I know uh, we were talking about sound compression and um it was it was definitely different, but I've also noticed that those have been pulled from YouTube, the ones I was listening to that you sent, mm-hmm. which I found I found them really considering the ones that I've been listening to for ages are still there. I find it weird that the ones that were higher quality um, have been pulled. Um, so yeah, right. Without so so it's not me talking about me for fucking ages. Um, I'll I'll talk about because like, because I had a weird thing that happened last last week or the week before um, when I was listening to them. Um, <laughs> visual jokes don't work on an audio podcast. I'm supposed to say um, and um, I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit. But how right, how did you get on switched on to the Monroe Institute? Well, this is a very long and uh, strange tale, so I will start. Okay, we've got a two-part podcast to fill. Cool. So (laughs) the first part of it was when I must have been about six, six or seven, somewhere around that age. And I started getting sort of spontaneous out-of-body experiences. And this would happen typically when I was on my way to sleep, you know, uh, and again, that borderline sleep stage. And I'd just find myself uh, hovering above the bed, you know, and I would either hover along the ceiling, uh, through the uh, door, down the stairs, and try and watch television over my parents' shoulders, you know, or I would uh, float That's out. That's a dangerous of... game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I would float out of the uh, window and... Uh, fly around the garden never outside the garden because i knew i wasn't allowed out of outside <laughs> the garden and i was a bit of a you know a goody kid mm-hmm. and uh, there were three cherry blossom trees at the bottom of the garden absolutely beautiful quite large um uh, amazing looking in spring and um so after doing that For a good couple of weeks or so, I I then went to my dad and I said, look, what is happening? I'm getting these experiences where I'm separating from my body and flying around. And he said, oh, that's just a dream. So the following night, I tried it again. And as I was hovering out of the window and into the uh, back garden, 
I realized I could still feel the bed under me, Mm. you know, while this was happening. And I thought to myself, oh, it is just a dream. And I stopped doing it, you know, because my curiosity was sated. You know, I'd got an explanation and that was it. So fast forward now to the age of 28, 28, 29, 20. Anyway, um, I, I had taken up Tai Chi and I'd been uh, practicing for a long time. And my teacher said, would you like to go to China to train with some of the top people? And I said, brilliant. So I saved up and went. And we got into Beijing and we went to a place called the White Cloud Temple. And the White Cloud Temple is a Taoist temple. Uh, we usually hear about the Buddhist monks in China, you know, the guys that do all the, um, uh, what they call the Kung Fu. Uh, the, the, the fighting monks well there are another load of monks who are Taoist and they have their own system that they call uh, Wudan based on the uh, uh, the uh, mountain where it's from Wudan Mountain uh, but they have a place in um, Beijing as I say called the White Cloud Temple so I went there and while I was walking around the White Cloud Temple, I noticed there was um, some tapestries up in one of the uh, buildings. And I looked at the tapestries and there was one of them of uh, a bloke lying as though he was lying down. But he was hovering above a load of cherry blossom trees, or at least it looked like that from the perspective of the... Uh, of where I was looking and it immediately brought me straight back to my experiences as a child, you know, flying around the back garden with the cherry tr- blossom trees. So I went to my Tai Chi teacher, Li Ming, and I said, uh, what do you know about out-of-body experiences and, and martial arts and stuff like that? And he said, he said, uh, oh yeah, it's a, it's a useful thing that, that some of the, uh, uh, older guys used to do it and he said he said what the tradition was was if you wanted to do this to go out of body and explore you would lock yourself in a room and you would put your um highest level student at the door and you were instructed you instructed that student that if anybody tried to wake you they were to kill them you know because they believed that if you were woken up while you were still separated from your body uh, that you would never be able to get back and, you know, he would die. So there was, there was a lot of folklore around it and I didn't ask any more about it, but I uh, I then started to research it and uh, I found the uh, uh, Monroe Institute and I delved into the books by Robert Monroe. So Robert Monroe is a, or was a uh, TV producer. He made his money in television and uh, like me, uh, only at, at a much older age, started having spontaneous out-of-body experiences. Uh, and like me, he was curious, but he didn't have his dad to ask him. He uh, went and collared a load of um, uh, medical people and science people and uh, because he was rich he uh, he uh, got a lab together and they started doing tests and they plugged people into EEG systems and uh, uh, they experimented with uh, different ways of getting to the state that he was in when he was doing an out-of-body experience and they tried all kinds of things like sticking your head in uh, in uh, uh, between huge magnets and stuff like that. But what they found was that there was a technology that they called binaural sound. And this was where uh, a, 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 a vibration of a certain uh, number of hertz is played into one ear. And then a different vibration is played into the other ear. And because your brain tries to join the two up um, the difference between one and the other is the wavelength that your brain waves try to match to um, and that's and so they 
experimented that they could get what they would call entrainment and that is that you could play a certain frequency and your brain waves would match those frequencies so what they then did was they started off with waking state and they moved people away from the waking state and wherever they noticed a change in either someone's experience or in their EEG or in their body temperature or anything like that, they they counted it as a point and they gave them focus levels. So you went from uh, focus one, which was normal awake, to focus uh, three, then 10, uh, then uh, 11, 12, and they were all numbered. And so they they then built what they call the gateway uh, uh, experience or the gateway voyage, depending on what you were doing. It's the gateway voyage. If you were a uh, if you were signing up to their course and, and going there, and the experience I think was the actual uh, tapes that you could buy at the time. Um, and they set up a place called the uh, uh, Nancy Penn Center in the Monroe Institute. So if you if you ever go out to uh, uh, Virginia, a place called Faber, Virginia, um, they ha- they have a big center where you can go and experience the uh, uh, set of uh, exercises. And that's, so their preliminary course is the Gateway course, and it lasts about a week. And uh, a lot of people. Uh, it has a lot of sign-ups for it, and they have lots of other courses, uh, some to do with uh, remote viewing, some to do with things like spoon bending and healing, and another one uh, which is guidelines where you uh, communicate with your spiritual advisors, and then you've got star lines where you work on trying to communicate to extraterrestrials. So this would be, I suppose, the equivalent of Greer's CE5 um so so they have a very very broad curriculum of consciousness that you can access and learn from uh so i started off by doing the cds from uh, home and then i reached out to them and uh they they then came back to me um very quickly when they found out that i was teaching tai chi and they were very interested in that, uh, getting my experiences, you know, because I'd done meditation in the uh, in the traditional sense. And also, so I had a foot in the traditional and in the high tech. And they said, would you like to come over to the Monroe Institute for nothing? And while you're there, you can um, we, we can talk about um doing uh, what they call setting up the local chapter network. So I went over there to uh, help them set up their uh, chapter network, which is basically a set of people in whatever cities all over America and in places throughout the world where they where people can get together and experience the uh, CDs together. Um, so I went over and did that. And while we were doing that, we did some remote viewing sessions. Um, the remote viewing session that I did was about just envisaging the future. So what they did was they asked that we got into focus, um, 12, which is the uh, heightened, uh, uh, awareness, expanded awareness. And they said, would you look into the future one year and uh, have a look at what you see? Then they said, look into the future two years and have a look at what you see. And then look into the future. I don't know whether it was three or it was four, but it was, it was, I think, well, let's say it's four now, but I look, I looked into the future for four. So when I looked into the first uh, one for a year, um, it was just it, if, um, when you um, when they when they they're giving you the orders for for, for where to look. Mm-hmm. What's the um, uh, how how's best to put this? Like, what sort of mechanism do you use to do it? Is it a case of your because because you you put you put into a heightened state 
are you just imagining and then saying what you imagine or is there something different to it? Um, oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I just, coffee went down the wrong way. Just give me a second. Okay. So what they do basically is they guide you into um, the focus level that allows you to experience what you want. And then they'll, they'll call you. They remote viewing is about getting a target. So, uh, sometimes they won't tell you what the target is precisely. They they might just say, I've got an object in my hand. Can you tell us what it is? You know, or I've written something down on a piece of paper. Can you tell what it is? Other times they might say, okay, I want you to look, you know, at a certain object in a certain place and you have to go and look. Or it might be that you need to go to a certain place and a certain time. Um, you don't necessarily need to go there mm. to experience it. All all you do is you focus on what they are actually saying and, and you follow the target like that. Some people actually decide that they're going there. So they, they might try and instigate an out-of-body experience and then go there. What, what the Monroe Institute believe is that your mind is capable of getting information from other areas mm. and that some people need the experience of an out-of-body to go and get that information when, in fact, it's already accessible to you where you are. But you need the illusion of that happening to know that you're getting that information. Mm. Um that that's why they they say very um candidly that although everybody's attracted to the idea of an out of body experience and it's the goal for for you to do it it doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually going to achieve it uh but what will happen is generally something meaningful for you mm-hmm. uh, anyway i i've digressed you get given a target and you you do that so just to wind out and give you more practical information about how that happens what they have is what's called a check unit and the check unit is basically a bed with uh, walls around it and a small opening where you can get in and it's got a curtain that you can close behind you so you're you're fairly isolated and you're in the bed and you're wearing headphones kind of like the ones that i've got um and there's a microphone in there so you can talk to them. And then they have a separate room where they play the, the tapes. And they were tapes at the time. They were actual physical tapes. Um, and I've got a fascinating story about that in a bit. But anyway, um, so there's always a controller there. And they're almost like a DJ. So everybody's sat in their own check unit. They're either lying or they're sitting or however they feel comfortable to have this experience and they put the headphones on and someone will start talking and they will say okay is everybody ready so you'll you'll press a button on the side that will give them a a light to say that everybody's ready and set up and then they'll start by playing you uh, a uh, a a tape or a, or a, a dvd as it is now and you would then be instructed by the tape to go into the the right focus level. Now, for us, it was focus level 12 that we were going into. Uh, and then they would ask you to uh, remote view your target. So, as I say, for me, one was a year and another one was two years and another one was uh, four years, I think, of a few years in the future. Um and the one year was a um, a uh, I, I saw a, a uh, warship sinking, and then there was another two years. There was another one that was two years in the future, which was a and I saw. Well, I didn't see as much as I experienced this rushing towards me of something that I just could not stop. I could not hold on to, and I was going to be sort of blasted away. And that was the, uh, uh, so the first one was, I think it was a, uh, a Korean boat had got sunk, a, a, a South Korean boat that was sunk 
by they believe it was a North Korean either submarine or or something like that, but it was torpedoed. And they lost all their li- all the uh, people on it. And then there was another one where it was there was the Japanese uh, uh, tsunami mm-hmm. that triggered the Fukushima uh, disaster as well. Um, so that was what we called two hits. When I tried to look further into the future, though, uh, I couldn't see anything. You know, yeah. uh, so that was a bit of a blank. So I came out of there, and um, and this is the thing. This is the weird thing about remote viewing. I've tried remote viewing since, and I haven't really got anything as as big or as meaningful as that. There's a lot of junk, and it's next to useless. It really is, you know, uh, and really for me, what use was it for me knowing those two events? There's no way I could have affected them or or changed them. And there was only one way that I could find out that they were real and that's to wait for them to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's useless. Mm-hmm. And that's was- the bottom line, yeah. Was it you that realised the events had happened, or did they get back in touch with you? And, and... Yeah, yeah, I had to realise that they didn't get back in touch with me and say that they were hits or anything like that. Uh, so they've never got back in touch with anything that you... No. No, no, no. Um, and I, I, got a little, I, I got a little bit funny about um, a few things that I heard a bit, bit later on about them that that made me a little bit I suppose suspicious is the wrong word but um, so going back to the discussion on on the uh, when I said about the tapes what they did was they decided they were going to uh, master them onto DVD so they they went and took the tapes that they had been using for 10, 15, 20 years, you know, in the Nancy Penn Center, and they analyzed them. And what they found was that the tapes had been used so often that they'd become stretched in places, and, and they were actually not a consistent frequency that they intended them to be, yet people were still having meaningful experiences with them. Um, and and so that's why they were remastered, and that's why there's, there's some old ones that are based on the old tapes that I don't think are as good as the modern ones. And there are some traditionalists who sit there and say, oh, there's something special about these old tapes, and it's one of those, is it really, you know, or, or mm. is this just wish fulfillment, you know, or are people, you know, having experiences just because they're going through the process of it, you know? Who thinks um, up the frequency, you know, who, who kind of goes, you know what, this will work, this will put them into this well, uh, state. Yeah, yeah. So, so they did a lot of tests, and what what they did was, as as, as I said, they they took people through. Uh, frequencies and where they found somebody reported that 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 they were in a particular state they would mark that with a number and that's why you have focus 10 focus 12 focus 15 focus 21 those are the key ones where people started feeling or experiencing different things uh there were there are also other positions where they noticed changes in body temperature or uh, or uh, you know the the uh, brain eegs uh so so they mapped those as well and that's why there's a lot of arbitrary numbers i think they go up to 47 eventually but you know you don't get all of those straight off you have to uh, go through the process and and that's where you get into these this gatekeeping thing where you know you have to pay a certain amount you've got to do a certain amount of courses it's almost mm. like scientology in terms of getting clear and things like that now you can find all of the important ones on youtube or on various sort of uh, uh, places like that so it's not i don't think it's the same as as scientology and there's certainly not 
exploitative in terms of what they provide. They're almost like, it's like hiring a car. You know, you go there and and you say, I want to hire a car and you can take the car where you want and, and what you choose to do in it's fine. You take it back, you give them the car back and you walk away and you've had an experience and it's exactly the same thing. They try, they do imply certain things. They imply that in certain states you're going to experience something, mm. you know, uh, and... <clears throat> It's just a question of, firstly, whether you believe it. Secondly, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to completely, but it's what you get out of it, you know. And I think there's an enormous value in exploring your own consciousness mm-hmm. as long as, you know, you don't get hung up with expecting certain things and, you know, things happen for you, you know. Um, so I'm keen on knowing what your experience was, Lee, because you said that you were going to talk about. Yeah, I mean, it, it it wasn't exciting, like massively exciting, but it was odd. The when I first started listening to the to the first lots of tapes, the uh, it was a Saturday afternoon. One thing I found really weird was because I, I listened to oh, I had a I wasn't I had a lazy day, and. Um, I must have gone through like the first five, I think, one after another. Oh right, okay. And um, but what I, what I was finding, I'm not going to say go to sleep, but I kind of passed out at the same point of each, of each one of them. And if I but I but I'd wake up as well when it was finished. It was very like. Because if you say well, each, each one is about half an hour, isn't it? Half an hour, yeah, yeah, forty yeah. minutes, yeah. And it, so it was, it was a very regimented. Like of, I'd start listening. The um, you'd have the sort of wave, wave noise, and then that sort of it's it's like the humming sort of chanting sort of side of it. And yeah, then so at some point during tuning, that, yeah, 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 at some point during that, I'd drift off. And then I'd wake up again when it was finished. And like I said, that that was regimented for each one I listened to. Uh, I still listened to them quite a lot during, at night time. Um, but what I noticed was when you sent me the link to what I would now listen to what you were saying before, I take it as the remastered one. Yeah. Was I listened to the, I think it was, I think it was, I think it was 12 because I think it was like the higher, the higher consciousness one. Mm-hmm. And um, I woke, but I woke up. But it was when I woke up. Before I woke up, it was. I just. It was like white, like like white. Not. Uh, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to say because I don't just mean like when you close your eyes and you just see white. When you're like when there's when there's light in front of you, it felt bright. It was like a bright white, and then that sort of shocked me, and that woke woke me up. And then, but that was. I was thinking to myself, "Then, well, that was weird. That's that's not happened happened before with this sort of thing." Mm-hmm. But the um, three things I have, um, well, sorry, sorry. The, the first thing I should should say is when I was younger, um, so I, I would have been like four or five at that sort of age. Um, I had the same thing that Monroe talked about um, on his journey to find these things where. He's, I, I never had any out of body experience stuff, but I would have the thing where I would be, feel incredibly small in my bed, and everything around me would feel like gigantic, like a, like a reverse um, claustrophobia almost, mm-hmm. which yeah. everything felt gigantic. Uh, so that that resonated with me. Um, but yeah, three things I've, I found give me this the, the, the sensation. The uh, taking hallucinogens gave me that sort of rush of speed where you feel like you broke through something. Mm-hmm. Um, the meditation when you get thrown out of it, as in, you know, it's, and it, you you feel like you have just crashed down again, and it's a shock. You go, oh mm-hmm. fuck, right, okay, that's that's strange. And oddly enough, the fever dreams uh, over two nights when I had COVID, those three things all felt very fucking similar. Right. right. 
yeah, and that, yeah. and that's that's kind of what I got as well from the from coming from passing it in and out with the gateway mm-hmm. things. I, I, I'm going to keep listening to them as well. I think it's it's really interesting. It is. It's super. Uh, so so the the first thing I would say is that that you you experience what a lot of people do, and that's what they call clicking out, mm. um, and and that's the uh, the point where you what they actually say is that you don't necessarily go to sleep you just lose consciousness it's not the yeah, same as yeah. going to sleep it's yeah. it's almost uh and and they call it clicking out so what what i would suggest you try doing is is doing one or two things obviously prop yourself up slightly a little mm. if you're lying flat sometimes you've gone to sleep yeah that's not the case so prop your head and shoulders up a little bit if that doesn't work for you, try and put your unconsciousness, give it something to go into your energy conversion box. So if you can give it something, let's say a blindfold or something like that, that you can take off or, or something that symbolizes you clicking out, maybe it's a feeling or an experience or something, if you can give it an image or something so when you're doing your energy conversion box and you're putting out the things that distract you might, might be a good there. might be a good time to explain what the energy conversion box is yeah yeah okay so the so the energy conversion box is is one of the processes that you go through when you uh you uh go into any CD that the uh, Monroe Institute do. So what they do is they start off with um, a relaxation and then they say you're on a beach and, and they say you should have a box with a heavy lid on it. And what you do is they give you a few minutes to put into that box anything that's going to distract you. And then you close the heavy lid and you turn away from it. And it's a symbolization of you putting away any troubles that you've got, anything that annoys you, uh, that kind of thing. For me, um, one of the things that stopped me for a long time was I used to get itchy around my nostrils all the time for some strange reason. Mm. Uh, And that used to uh, drive me mad. And I used to put my nose in the energy conversion <laughs> box, you know. Um, so, so you do you use that to symbolise getting rid of things that that are going to get in your way. Some people might put their ego in there if they're the type of person that craves a grand experience, you know. Um, all the of these wife, things, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I've I've put all kinds of things in mind when I've done it, yeah. And it's it's all helpful. It is, yeah. So yeah, use your energy conversion box for that. It might help. Uh, and what what else? Yes, f- fever dreams, things like that. These are all sort of changes in altered state, definitely. Mm. You know, and and they all have a place. I mean, people take all kinds of drugs. Uh, uh, ayahuasca is the big one at the moment, isn't it? You know, um, mm. that I've never taken anything like like that you know for, for a particular experience i've always used uh, binaural things because I, I find them the most interesting for me but i don't necessarily need to use them anymore because i'm that that used to them i can sit and just zone in and zone out to them yeah mm. the i've i tried it um and you, you sent me a rich and my wife uh, listened to the, the the tapes and I never got a chance to, well, I kind of, I kind of forgot about it. And then I, when I was in hospital, Dave sent me the, the tapes again on SoundCloud. Um, and I just, I didn't, I didn't have access to what you sent me the download so I listened to them because I thought I'm really stressed out here. I need, I, and I was, I was just, I was just, I just wanted to get home, but I was, I was very stressed. So I can't stand hospitals. They just drive me potty. 
uh, with anxiety. So I tried this tape out and I, I, I experienced something. I don't know what it was, but the, the room, like when my eyes were shut, like you explained the light of white. What mm. I saw is the all the room went purple, bright purple. I, I saw purple. I was like, I can remember just seeing purple um, and having little flickers within the purple of imagery that I couldn't make out what it was. You know, like when you look at the sun and then you close your eyes mm-hmm. and you see bits, dots, on, and you think, oh, I can't get rid of that. Or if you've been looking at a screen, mm-hmm. I, I hadn't been looking at anything. The room was quite dimmed out. I had my curtains round. I saw purple and there was things like moving, like it's almost like, I don't know, like I was on drugs or something. There's like things moving within this purple. Well, I mean, I'd argue it it is like what what it is to take drugs because what you're doing is you're experiencing some sort of symptom that's either a lesser or different result for what you would get if you had taken drugs. Mm. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I'll be honest with you. It did it mm. did calm me down. It chilled me out. But like this, the same when, you, when you're speaking about fevers. So, so I can remember having dreams like you, Rich, when I was a kid, going downstairs, watching American Werewolf in London. I My mom and dad didn't let me watch that, but I remember watching it. I remember mm. hovering down the stairs. I can remember watching that film and being scared to death and like buggering off back upstairs. But this, I had this this thing a lot when I was a kid. I can remember one when I had a fever, though. And you guys, you just been speaking about fevers. I had I had a fever once. I was terribly ill as a child, and I can't. I don't know what was wrong, but I think it was just like a really bad flu or something. And maybe I had the measles. I don't know. But I remember waking up in the middle of the night and looking around the room, and there was like these little tiny red dots everywhere that like little tiny spiders just all over the room like and i can remember one of them actually hit me in the eye and i felt it wow wow um, it was a dream or not but it didn't feel like a dream i remember being um sick when i was when i was a kid and it, i must have been proper sick as well because i was back in the days when not only could you get doctor's appointments if you were really really sick they'd come to your house and make sure you're okay and, um, yeah uh and my mum my and dad phoned the doctor to, to come and check up on me and i can i can still remember like lying on the couch in my i mean even if i ever go into my dad's house it's a different couch but the couch is still in the same place uh i was lying on the couch with a duvet over me and I saw a clown running running in circles around the room. Now, it wasn't just him, but the doctor was knelt down at the couch speaking to me. Uh, my, my dad was stood over in the, uh, the, the stairs that go down into the kitchen. My mum was, uh, was at the door where you come into the, into the living room from the, uh, from, uh, from the like, tiny little porch before you, you come in from the front door. And um, I remember I didn't like him, definitely didn't like him. Um, but it was only the, the, there was been a couple of things which which I've experienced over the years, which, which jived when I ended up listening to, um, oh sorry, reading the uh, <sighs> Spirit Molecule, and, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, what the uh, the various people had had experienced on those trips, and especially when they. Meeting meet these sort of trickster entities like that looked like jesters, and then it it, it it sort of really hit me there. When you look at the like the depiction of like the the jester or, or and clowns and things uh, things of that nature, no one ever thinks for a second, how did we come up with that? Mm-hmm. Like the idea of a jester. Wait, what, I mean, I, I'm I'm fan of comedy i get the idea of why you would like somebody in the room which is good at making you laugh but that particular way like the uh like the harlequin type look luke mm. that's a strange fucking thing to just 
shit funny. out of no no to just shit out of nowhere. Mm. And it, yeah. it, it 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 did it made it made me think. Well, I wonder I wonder if what I was seeing in my sort of fever dream was just a fever dream, or are, are the are, anything we see when we when we hallucinate? Is there a level of reality, even if it's not what we consider base reality, like knock on table reality? Um, is there a level of reality to all these things that we experience when we're in slightly altered states? Um, well, I define reality in terms of that. Um, when, we, when we're talking about consciousness now, because uh, because we're going to have to start setting some sort of ground rules in terms of talking about consciousness and what that is. Yeah. Um, and the best definition I've seen from consciousness is by a chap called Tom Campbell, and he worked with uh, Munro uh, mm. developing his technology. Tom Campbell is a NASA physicist, uh, and he took coins. He looks a bit like my dad as well. Yeah. Does he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he says that your consciousness is a self-modifying model of reality, basically. So when you when you explore your consciousness, you are extending and um, entering your model of reality. It mm. might not be reality itself. It's been influ- influenced by it, and it's been... Um, uh, y- you have you have sprung from reality and and you have built on this consciousness model every time you open your eyes every time you dream every time you see or feel something you know so you have built this model and it's exploring it and finding out that that model is actually bigger than your understanding of it mm. you know so so what are these shared things that start to appear in our consciousness even though we might not have been told about them and this is where it gets fundamentally to your question yeah around could these could could these archetypal ideas have arise be part of our collective consciousness something that's entered into us almost naturally or at least you know a a a feature of how we take on reality yeah and and there you're at the chicken and egg scenario where you know which came first the consciousness or the reality or both mm. you know um i'm a materialist so i will always say that that um there is a part of your consciousness that that is creative though rather than just built on reality yeah that, that's what i was going to ask do you think it's possible though rich that some of the things that people experience like lee with the gesture gest, gest, gesture the jester um there Easy for you to say. which which yeah which was which i was actually going to say i don't understand how that has ever been funny a, a jester to me, they look fucking demonic. Um, yeah. I think what I'm getting at there is, I mean, the, the the idea of the trickster has always been a malevolent creature as well, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know, no, you look at you, you look at a gesture with its little things. That's mm-hmm. that's something that would entertain a baby, not an adult. Well, the court jester was always somebody that appeared in the uh, in the in the court of the king. He was the only person that was allowed to take the Mickey out of the king. Mm. Yeah, you know, and 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 they had they had their place in terms of a feudal time where uh, um, it was almost he, he, he the the jester would breach that royal protocol, and he was the only person that was allowed to do that. Human it was to humanize a king as well, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's possible that we could be seeing something that actually is there? Like, for example, the jester, the little red dots, whatever Dave's seen here, because I know Dave's seen quite a lot of stuff. No, what are you talking about? 
you, Rich, do you think, think that it's possible it's not just stuff that is in our brain and it's stuff that is actually it's there? Um, I, I, I hesitate to say it's one or the other. Do you know what I mean? Because, because I, I genuinely think that, that our consciousness experiences things not straightforward. There's a lot of interpretation that goes on. Uh, mm. And I think very often what we might see might not be what we are truly looking at and we interpret it. So you may have seen something, you may have interpreted it as purple sparkly dots and and something like that. So it, it's it's the layer of interpretation that you put over it, I think. Um that that's interesting. Mm. See, this drifts in a little bit now towards the sort of stuff we usually talk about on Ollie's channel. Um I'm a firm believer that we, o- over the years, it's not the like the classification of when people have seen UFOs. We 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 put it down to um, the technology at the time and people trying to explain things they don't understand. Um, I think it's the opposite end of that. I think what it is is there's something there. There's something invading reality. There's something, be it physical or not. And we're literally manifesting it in a way that we can understand it. So right now we are such a technically advanced civilization. Uh, we 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 more understand things as being nuts and bolts things. So that's what we see as nuts and bolts things. Whereas if when we were a more spiritual society, we were seeing things in more of a spiritual light, maybe. Yeah. Sorry, are you guys are you guys familiar with the Philip experiment? No, what's that? It was done by some parapsychologists, <clears throat> psychologists, the head of Menza for Canada. Um, there was an astrophysicist, physicist at a head of a university. <clears throat> that uh, sorry, sorry, Dave, what's the what what experiment? Because it's called the Philip experiment, and the Philip experiment took place in Canada. What the Philip experiment was was these people got together and they wanted to know if the paranormal ghosts, whatever, are just a collective hallucination. Excuse me, I didn't take my smart pill today. So they came up with um, a fictitious ghost. They gave him a whole backstory and everything. Like he died in the Civil War. He just came over here from Britain, like where he was born. They, they had some discrepancies on age, and they all didn't necessarily get on the same board. But then they started having seances and stuff. Nothing happened. Then they changed the lighting, added candles the things you would expect at a seance. Then they started getting reactions, vibrations, gusts of wind, temperature changes, the table tilted on one leg. Um, people were touched. And these are all high IQ people, highly intelligent people, professional people. They're not making things up. And they all went in skeptical, but they all agreed that this is who we're talking to and we will talk to them. And a manifestation occurred who at the very least assumed the role of Philip. So when you talk about perceptions and consciousness with perceptions altering reality, I think that's very possible. I think, you know, two people can definitely see the same thing and see different things and be both right. Mm. There's a there's an interesting um, folktale about Captain Cook uh, who uh, uh, was uh, exploring around uh, some islands in the Pacific yeah, a big, big, um, big connection with the Isle of Man, Neon the Bounty, and Captain Cook. Really? Yeah. Sorry, carry on. That's all right. And and, and apparently, what he did was he he he, uh, he pulled up in a huge galleon, like he does, mm-hmm. and uh, there were people on the shoreline, and they they totally ignored this galleon that that must have been the first time that they've seen anything like that certainly in anyone's lifetime and, mm-hmm. and they they pulled right into the uh, bay and nobody gave it one look so they got out in a boat you know and and rowed to shore and it was only when they got to the shore that these 
people then tried to attack them and whatever. And there's there's always been a um, common folk tale that that perhaps the natives did not even register that that galleon was actually existing because it was too far out of their perception. And it was only when they got into a small boat and got to the shore that they actually acknowledged their existence. Wow. Wow. It's, it, it's, it's a bit of a folklore and it's how you, you interpret because mm. it's, it's uh, the, the journal of somebody that was on the boat itself. You know, it's, it's interesting that you paint it that way. I've been in situations, even recently, that things outside the realm of norm normalcy and we got some of it on film happens and the person who's the most skeptical there they turn around and walk away mm -hmm. and then they come well, i didn't see anything i didn't hear anything you walked what we literally told you to, i didn't hear that what are you talking yeah, about yeah yeah it's like what it's bizarre mm -hmm. it was bizarre it was it was their non-compliance to deal with something so outside of the realm of what they can accept you see that a lot in trauma too. Yeah, I can imagine. So, the, without naming names, this person just was just ignorant of it. No, they saw it going on, and they did an about face and walked down a very long hallway, mm -hmm. and then just didn't, I didn't see anything, and then nothing happened. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I mean, it, it's it seems like it seems a perfectly reasonable thing to. Um, to believe was ha would happen when you when you look at people that have had like a history of abuse, um, mm -hmm. loads lots of those people will just fucking box that away. I mean, what it does is it generally seems to turn them into a fucking explosion waiting to go off. It's not a good thing to do, but you, you just package all those bad things that happened of you. You shove them down in the fucking downstairs, and then later on. When when someone's like twenty eight years of age, what fucking Uncle John did was not cool. Well, that's that, that's what PTSD is basically, mm -hmm. isn't it? And when people talk about being triggered, you know, um, uh, you, you have you have uh, the very popular stories about uh, misgendering pronouns. Yeah, I'm talking about <laughs> more about people coming back from war. <laughs> you know, um, my granddad told me a tale of. Uh, Oh, sorry, it was my dad that told me a tale about somebody about my granddad. And it's always somebody that knows somebody or something like that, that uh, somebody came back from World War II and um, they, were, they were having a party to celebrate and one of the kids jumped on his back, uh, you know, as a sort of welcome and he basically smashed a glass and attacked the uh, kid with it because he thought he was oh. being, he thought he was being um, attacked. He had a flashback. Oh. Wow. So these things do happen. People, you know, it, people compartmentalize stuff. You're absolutely right. And it does burst out again. That's insane. Mm. I actually know a lot about PTSD. Do you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. Well, I mean, I don't remember my childhood, but it had nothing to do with an Uncle John. It's just not <laughs> worth remembering. <clears throat> I hope. <clears throat> but, I, uh, I did have it, but that's that's for another. Uh, oh yeah. No, I, uh, a lot of podcast. a lot of dudes I shoot with, they've been to war. A lot of dudes I train with, they've seen horrible things, and uh, yeah. But the craziest thing is, like, I'll talk to these dudes, and 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 it's very PTSD is very specific. So like, I know guys that you know were SF. They did intense things. Sleep like a baby at night. You know what they have nightmares about? Their job in the morning. Being late. It's very subjective. Mm. Very subjective, the burdens we carry. You know, and how people process and deal with things. Um, I think the military and law enforcement in general could use a major overhaul and some major psych profiling before they let people in. But, because um, not everyone's meant to carry that kind of burden. Mm. Anyway, it's a, different, it's a different soapbox. But yeah, man, it's... The mind is a weird thing. The mind is a weird thing. It is, and, and, and that's why Tom's stuff was so profound when he says it's a self-modifying model of reality, mm. and that you are not necessarily completely in charge of that modification process, how you take things on and how you interpret them uh, is 
for most people quite automatic and they don't take a step back to look at their uh, their thoughts and their feelings mm. and their impressions and all the layers of 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 meaning that they've uh, uh put themselves onto the world do you know what i mean like yeah i don't know not liking the color brown how's that destroyed your life do you know what i mean you you, you, <laughs> you, you might so have it's a strange yeah. strange color for you to pick rich could have been any color I'm just you know, looking at bricks on my, my uh, fire, fireside here, that's all, and they were brown. That's <laughs> Nothing bad. <laughs> Tell me why you prefer the white bricks to the brown bricks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like, well, it's, it's the same thing. I always uh, say that um, at any one time you have the a single meeting with somebody or I suppose it's, it would be the, be the same thing, but you, your your life can change with just depending on which people you bump into. Mm-hmm. You know, like a, a single conversation or a book that's given to you can completely change your frame of reference of uh, from where you are. Which essentially, like the, um, I, I mean, I'd always say oh, I don't know if it's it's certainly didn't change me in the sense of what how we're talking here. But um, I, I'm a big fan of Douglas Murray, and I remember the first first Douglas Murray book I read was The Madness of Crowds, and that changed the way I looked at how we are interacting with each other as people and how the culture wars are starting. And then, you know, and that was one of those things that it probably did lead me, which I'm I'm sure. Mr. Murray probably probably isn't a hundred percent on board with, but I think just that analyzing how people interact with each other led me to to be more fucking woo, to the more woo woo stuff that where we are. So it's you know it's uh, anything you t- anything you take in, which you might just think is just oh I'm just gonna I'll read this book or I'll watch this film, can leave a profound impact on you, and I, I don't think enough people enough people realize that's going on with them. I, I always think, especially when we talk about like really out there stuff like this, the crazy thing is that I think um, people talking about this sort of stuff constantly question themselves and we constantly ask, ask ourselves, are we talking nonsense? Are we talking about nonsense? Is this fanciful and just fun to speak about? And it's essentially you, you, you put headphones on and you fucking you're you're essentially living a little live action role playing game every time you do it. The odd thing is, and I don't think that's what it is, but the odd thing is, is the people that the rational people that don't think about these things never think that. The rational people never question why they're rational, which is fucking irrational. <laughs> well, the interesting thing for me is not necessarily when i started doing meditation and this is just straight meditation no monroe institute stuff because that's what i started you know being sort of straight instigating through just traditional uh buddhist techniques and what, what, I what found, were those techniques just was it more breath work and just, just, just that... mindfulness breath work yeah. that kind of thing you know uh um listening to listening to sounds away from you and then closer to and closer to and closer to and and closing yourself in and uh you know uh, becoming mindful as yourself rather than an extended person and all of this good stuff uh so what i found though was that the the meditation itself while it's nice you know and you, you you're in this nice happy state of of uh, of disassociation and non almost like pressing a reset button on yourself so you're calm you're relaxed etc but where where you really learn is when you stop meditating and you come out of it and the first thing that annoys you or winds you up or, or distresses you or anything like that, you sit there and you go, that's distressed me. Why has that distressed me? And that's when you find out that it doesn't distress you. 
you observe it and you distress yourself. Mm. And it's that separation of of being able to observe your reactions. So so it's not the meditation itself, which is the reset button you hit. Mm. It's the things that annoy you or whatever when you go back into uh, normal work that you learn and, and, and you learn to cope with those better, I think, mm. you know. I, um, I think one of the things that help as well is it's, it's weird. I, I'm not very good at meditating at all. No, I'm not, not good at it. Um, because it's, it's amazing how insanely, I don't want to say stressful. Stressful is not the word. Um, almost panic inducing meditation can be. You know, like when you, when you, when you, you really try and do nothing, mm. it can be quite, Straight, you know, I've I've noticed it myself where you, I, I'll be I'll be sat doing nothing, and you can feel the tension. You, know, you can feel your tension points, especially across across the chest and stuff. Um, and it may it it makes me realize just how much we must be being hammered on a minute by minute basis with stress, where it's stressful to just try and. Be for a minute. Well, you said, Lee, last time we were speaking that, you know, when your electricity goes out, the most. Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely. I will, I will, I will, will fucking argue that with anybody. If you turn all the electricity off, off in your house, sit in the, in, in the middle point of your house. So you've got, especially like in, um, well, lots, I, I live, I live in an old house. So, you know, the, the walls between, between between us are huge thick stone walls um so sit in the middle of your house sometimes i'll i'll do it within the by just either just outside that door there is like kind of the center point of my house i'll turn i'll i'll turn the twi- uh, trip switch off and sit there and you can feel the difference you can feel the stillness and i'm not i don't i don't know if it's like an electromagnetic thing or anything like that. I think it's probably more the um, like sub. Uh, I don't know what the proper word would be. So I'm going to say sub audio, like uh, fre- frequencies that are put out from things. So things that you can't audibly hear, but you're you're taking in um, the the sm- the small hums, like hums from your fridge. Um, all these all these little things, like the the buzz from your lights that you don't take notice of, but it's definitely there. All these things, when you take it away, you go, oh, shit, we're not, we're kind of not supposed to have all this going on around us. Mm. And I'm not, I don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, oh, yeah, let's take everything away. Lee just filled his fucking room full of LED lights, so clearly likes a bit of light. Um, I'm not saying we take all this away, but I think it's time we started to realize that, we've got so many things around us. There should be more opportunities for people to like for, for want of fucking more, less cliched terms, unplug. Absolutely. I agree. And one of the great metaphors for that is going out into the countryside and looking Mm -hmm. up to the night sky and seeing the Milky way, which you might not be able to do if you lived Mm -hmm. in a city or in a town when there's a lot of light. And if you just replace light with sound, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree one hundred percent. It's the same with same walking barefoot. I, I think yeah. people should wear, walk barefoot more often as well outside. It there is something, there's definitely something grounding about it all. And the, see, I, I the, the the weird thing is, I think all this sort of stuff has been um, marred by like new age hippie nonsense, to be perfectly honest, and it's co opted in the same way as. Um, someone like Stephen Greer has co-opted meditation, you know, it, uh, and it's been tarnished. So, um, you know, <laughs> Dave, <laughs> <laughs> Dave's done something to his butt cheeks. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just think I didn't think he why said, it was that. He profound. said Stephen Greer, and he got a shooting pain in his yeah, butt. Yeah. <laughs> 
<clears throat> I've got a doll and he's sticking pins in it somewhere, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I have a host of people doing that to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I got a shame pain in my past because I watched that fucking documentary put out. Um, not the only thing, back. Lee, with walking out barefoot, you know, in the middle of a field, there's a big risk of trying to, you know, treading in shit. Get it in, get it between your toes. It's good yeah. for you. I hope you enjoyed Daddy's stinky podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you biff. That's the end of the first half of this podcast. I try and leave it on a cliffhanger, but I mean, realistically, getting poo between your toes is not a cliffhanger. Um, like I forgot to say at the beginning of the podcast, if you would like to help support the podcast and you want these shows in full without having to wait a week in between, I've been pretty backlogged at the minute, so the uh, getting shows out has been a problem, and I have them. I trust me, I have shows for you. They're on my computer, but just the the things that have been going on have just made... Uh, sorting this sort of stuff out a, a little bit difficult uh, hence the reason that people hide on even the alien addict stuff as well um, If, however the what I do always make sure to do is I always make sure to keep the Patreon up to date um, if you want this show in its entirety uh, without having to wait a week in between to hear the second part you can go and sign up to the Patreon for as little as $2 a month and you get all the stuff I do. You get the uh, Alien Addict stuff put up early. You get um, the new Mussy Audios up early and in full. So I think on average it works out that it's a couple of weeks behind. Um, Mussy Audio, like free, is a couple of weeks behind the, the paid service on Patreon. Uh, and that gap will only get bigger as well as I split shows in half and the full ones go up on uh, Patreon. So if you want to stay up to date with Mussy Audio, you want to get it in full, not have to wait, go to Mussy Audio on Patreon and that will make everything better, won't it? Please do it. Thanks very much. <laughs>